Tatum out front. Buck at seven. Working against Butler. Got downhill. Couldn't punch it. Bam says, get it out of here. Out of bio. Sky high with the block and rejection. That's why he's NBA All-Defensive Team. I have a hard time picking against the Clippers. Who do you think's going to win the West this year? Clippers. I think their pieces fit together a little bit better. I think it's the Clippers' championship to lose this year. The Clippers are the best team in basketball. So I'm going with the Clippers. That's why the Clippers are my choice. I'm going to say the Clippers. I'm going with the Clippers. I can't go with the Lakers. Here come the Clippers, the bitch. They just wear you down over the course of 48 minutes. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Thursday morning. We have all your playoff news and previews you need for today because there were no games on Wednesday. I'm Zach Harper. That's Jared Weiss. We have Jay Hoy pushing buttons. Don't miss an exclusive deal on The Athletic. I swear, if you miss out on this deal, I don't know what to tell you. It's a dollar a month. Jared, a dollar a month. Even I can afford that. Yeah, exactly. A dollar a month. You might find that in your couch cushions. Who knows? In your center console. I found $5 in my center console the other day. I felt rich. Felt you thought, wow, rich. this is five months of The Athletic right five here. Five months of The Athletic just sitting in my car. Didn't even know it. Go to theathletic.com slash daily ding. You're going to get the best coverage of sports out there on the internet. Coming up on today's show, we preview game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. We check in with Kendra Andrews of the Western Conference Finals Denver Nuggets beat. We talk to Bill Oram about their opponent, the Los Angeles Lakers. We've got Sacramento Kings news, Philadelphia 76ers news, but we first start with the all NBA teams. Jared, let's argue. People are mad. The NBA announced the awards voted on by the media. And let me give you the first, second, and third teams. First team, Giannis and LeBron are your forwards. James Harden and Luka Doncic are your guards. And Anthony Davis is your center. Second team, Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam are the forwards. Damian Lillard and Chris Paul are the guards. Nikola Jokic is your center. And then third team, Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler are the forwards. Rudy Gobert is the center. Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook are your guards. So Chris Middleton didn't make it. Brandon Ingram didn't make it. Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, Kyle Lowry. None of those guys made it. And Jared, what are your initial thoughts on the news of the NBA teams? Well, pure rage, naturally. That's the of course, only that's, instinct that's acceptable. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, the first thing I actually kind of thought was that seeing that Giannis and LeBron both got unanimous voting onto the first oh, that's team. right. It makes me wonder, maybe this MVP race is going to be a little bit closer than we remembered. If you think back years and years ago to the spring when we actually cared about these awards still, uh, it was kind of, it seemed like Giannis was kind of clearly going to win it, but people were pushing for LeBron. But to see the way that the LWA teams, uh, the way that it came about, I'd imagine it's going to be pretty tight. And then I think the obvious thing is, I don't really have any issues with these teams. But Chris Middleton not making it is, I think, the biggest snub. And then you have to say, well, who do you take off? And so here's the tricky thing. is So Chris Middleton, he had more votes than Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook. He had 82 points. They had 61 and 56, respectively. And Chris Middleton got votes as a guard. And so the NBA, they did a great job of making the positional designations a little bit more flexible. But the downside is that whichever votes you get the most votes at, which or whatever position you get the most votes at, that's how you get slotted into the rankings. So because Middleton got most of his votes as a forward, he couldn't qualify to go into one of those guard slots on the third team. And so 
I think I'd like to see them change it so that if you have 82 points and you also qualified as a guard and you receive votes as a guard, then they should be able to put you in as a guard on that team. And so Russell Westbrook should have been bumped out. And, you know, I was one of those people that around voting time, I was, you know, Russell Westbrook was just so he was playing so amazing at that point of the season. And I was all on board on getting him on the all NBA team. But he I think what we saw in the bubble reminded us of kind of how bad Russell Westbrook was for the first half of the season. And it was a relatively small sample size. And so I feel like Chris Middleton was a legitimate snub who you could actually find somebody that you would have taken off of the LNBA team to replace him with. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unveil some stuff here. Let's do it. Uh, I've got my ballot. If I can find it, there we go. My official ballot. I was lucky enough to be a voter for the second straight year. Congratulations. And so, thank you. It's it's a, it's something like like I legitimately nerd out about. Like, I was, like, giddy about that. Because that's a cool thing to me. It's also a lot of pressure since they make this stuff public. Quick tangent. I don't understand people that don't care about being award voters. If you care about basketball, I dreamt my entire life of wanting to vote for these awards. It would be the most incredible honor I could get as an NBA writer. So, you should be proud as hell of it. Yeah, it's really cool. I got to do it last year for the first time. I was blown away, and then I was terrified they were going to take it away from me this year, and they haven't yet. <laughs> Next year, probably, but they didn't do it this year. They just went with, I think, with what they had last year. But so I, have oversight. Two, I have two issues, and I think this would be solved by just, let's just do the 15 best. Let's not do positions anymore because I think it's ridiculous that LeBron is counted as anything but a guard this year because he played almost exclusively at guard. And Anthony Davis played, I believe, like roughly 75 to 80% of his minutes at the forward position and not at center. So I don't like that LeBron is a forward and I don't like that AD is a guard or is a, is a center. I think he should be a forward. I think LeBron should be a guard. And maybe I'm just being like too semantics about that. But like that actually bothers me. And I would just rather us say these are the five best. These are the second five. These are the third five. I was going to say, so I mean, I agree that instead of center, it should be big just to deal with the fluidity of the position. But given what you're saying, would you change that first team? Um, yes, I would. Oh, so this fun. is my, this was my first team, two guards, LeBron, James Harden, my two forwards, Giannis and Kawhi and my center, Nikola Jokic. Interesting. My next team, my second team was Joel Embiid uh, as the center, Luca and Dame as the guards, Anthony Davis and Pascal Siakam as the forwards. And then uh, my third team was Westbrook and Chris Paul as the guards, Gobert as the center, Tatum and Butler as the forwards. So no Simmons, no Middleton. No Simmons, no Middleton. Yeah, that's a funny thing. Like, I, <laughs> oh, Middleton didn't make I didn't vote for him. And the hardest one for me to – the re, I if LeBron – if I had put – if LeBron was a forward to me this year – um, that extra guard slot would have gone to Bradley Beal. Okay. So, yeah. That's that's what I would have decided. I don't see any fault in your logic. I, I think that LeBron yeah. defensively fills the forward role enough that I don't think it's a complete misnomer for him to be there. And Luka Doncic is my large adult son, so there's a small bit of bias. There's a, there's a small, I'm willing sure. to admit bias a little bit here or there. Uh, and yeah, I have it for Luka. So, um, you know, I mean, Luka as second team and Kawhi as first team, I think would have been completely reasonable. Frankly, Chris Paul as first team, I would have been totally down with this year. Uh, but I, I don't, I think the right names got 
and onto the first couple teams. So I just don't really see any fault there. And frankly, Jokic, that pick, because we only judge award picks after. It looks better it looks now. So <laughs> it looks better now, now for sure. I get it. If someone's like, no, if you're doing best five, if I was doing best five, I probably would have put AD over Jokic. But I didn't, I like AD infamously doesn't want to play center, doesn't play center. So I'm like, how can I count him as a center? That one I didn't feel right about. The LeBron forward guard thing, I, I think there's a lot of logic to, to what you said there. But the AD thing, I'm like, he's not that, he doesn't play center. He refuses. Why are we going to put him as a center? Listen, Zach, you're going with rational forethought here, and that's just not how award debates work. So you're going to have to wake up. Now let me dig into my all-rookie second <laughs> team. Because <laughs> I've got some thoughts. Um, all right. So the thing that I, I – I like that you mentioned here. Like You're like, all right, if we're going to put a guy on, we have to take a guy off, right? Because I saw that on Twitter today of people like, I'm not saying who should be taken off, but this person should be on. No, we don't get to do it that way. If you're going to put someone on, you got to take someone off. That's the only way to have the conversation. Absolutely. I mean, you can say that this person deserved it, but you can't get angry that they got snubbed without saying who you're going to remove. So, yeah, obviously we feel like Chris Middleton, Bradley Beal, and Kyle Lowry, I think all three of those guys clearly played at an all-NBA level this year. You could even make a case that Trey Young probably deserved it. And, I mean, people are going to look at him averaging basically a 30-10 and be like, those are some of the craziest numbers of all time. How could he not? But numbers are a little bit inflated now that people are hitting so many threes. Like, you have to think about how this is relative to the rest of the league. And, you know, Beal and Young's numbers stand out from a historical perspective as absolutely all-time great. But relative to the rest of the league, they're not dramatically better. And so... You know, there are a bunch of guys that didn't quite get there, but I'm looking at it and like Russell Westbrook's the only one that I would feel comfortable taking off of any of these teams. Otherwise, I think it's kind of a toss up there. Also, there's been one person on the Internet that anytime John Morant says, I don't know how I wasn't unanimous, that they say, oh, it was talk hoops. He didn't vote for you. I just like to put on the record. I did vote John Morant number one for uh, for rookie of the year. So stop saying that, whoever you are. I blocked you on Instagram because he kept lying about it. Clearly, this is a Brandon Clark bot that's just programmed to destroy your reputation. (laughs) I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. I had to get it on the record right there. And again, now we're just going to do 55 minutes on my all-rookie second team right now. I got some Kobe White thoughts. The only thing is an hour-long podcast, and we're going to have to edit this part out anyway. So we might as well keep going. All right, we've got news. Someone wants to run the Kings. We had so many (laughs) smart executive options saying thanks but no thanks. I don't want to do that. But according to Shams Charania and Sam Amick of The Athletic, they're reporting that Rockets assistant general manager Monty McNair is the new head of basketball operations for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Sajin Gupta, Gupta has been uh, from the Timberwolves had been in the mix. A bunch of people have been in the mix. A bunch of people, have, again, had withdrawn from being in the mix. But uh, McNair takes over, wasn't in that assistant role long for Houston because uh, he replaced Gerson Rosas, who took over the Timberwolves last year. And so this may be, you want to be an executive somewhere for a bad organization. You go be the the assistant GM for, for Daryl Morey. Now you get yourself a job. I mean, I, I love this pick. Um, I assume that after Vivek just offered it to everybody that was inside the Dunkin' Donuts he was at at that moment, he then finally decided to call Monty and give him the job. Um, and, I mean, Monty McNair, I think, is going to make a very good GM because he comes from... He comes from a an organization that 
is very shrewd in how they squeeze value out of their assets, how they manage their cap. Um, these are all things that Sacramento has been very bad at in recent times. And it's not even about just finding blue chip talent to build around. It's about just having a coherent sense of direction, good scouting staff that is able to find useful players at the back end of the roster. Things that Houston, I think, has always done a pretty great job at. So I expect McNair is yeah. going to have a lot of success in just streamlining the Kings organization and creating an achievable sense of direction for them. Yeah, I never know quite how to judge some of this stuff with like the lower executives because, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but, um, but cause I, I just wait and I'm like, Hey, this guy's up for the job. I'll ask a couple people and like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? Monty McNair. Yeah, absolutely. He should be running a team. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think it's a good hire. <laughs> that's how I, that's how I generally go with this stuff. Like Troy Weaver was someone I knew was like, I, there's enough, enough you know, research that you can do into that where I'm like, oh yeah, Detroit made the right call with Troy Weaver. Absolutely. Last year, Gerson Rosas with the turmoil was like, oh yeah, that's absolutely a good idea. Um, aside from like maybe someone like Trajan Langdon or, or Gupta or, um, or like Mike Zarin, right? Like if they, they get hired. I'm like, oh yeah, of course I know that Monty McNair I'm aware of, I know he's good, but like you then ask a little bit and everyone's got a resounding, yes, he should absolutely be running a team. So I'm like, yeah, good hire Kings. Hopefully you stick with this one. Yeah. I mean, I've had a couple of conversations with Monty and Daryl before. So that's like the only reason why I can speak with even a modicum of authority, but sure. This is most of these hires are frankly just looking at the person they were working for, assuming that they were a valuable cog as part of their success and then projecting those values onto how we assume they're going to operate. So I could be completely wrong, but I'm feeling pretty decent about my analysis there. I've made enough jokes about the Rockets online that I'm pretty sure Daryl Moore doesn't like me. (laughs) And now a word from Tass Mellis of No Dunks about Liquid IV. Hi, I'm Tass Mellis from No Dunks on The Athletic. As the great philosopher Brian of the Backstreet Boys once said, Everybody, yeah, hydrate your body, yeah, everybody, hydrate your body, right? Hydration's back, all right! We all know we have to stay hydrated. I've used an app a big water bottle, post-it notes. And proper hydration is extremely important right now. It can really help your immune system. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. I like using Liquid IV when I hit that afternoon lull. Instead of grabbing a coffee, I grab one stick of the lemon-lime Put it in my water and I get the energy boost I need without dehydrating my body and getting dry mouth. It's win-win because it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. Oh, my mate Lily would love it. It's healthier than sugary sports drinks with no artificial flavors or preservatives and less sugar than an apple. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target. Or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. 
Speaking of Daryl Morey, his former coach, Mike D'Antoni, is in the mix for the Sixers job. will be interviewed along with Billy Donovan. Uh, not at the same time, I'm assuming, according to Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. The Sixers are doing rounds of interviews. D'Antoni and Donovan are in the mix. D'Antoni's the fascinating one to me, Jared, because it that roster doesn't make sense for what he likes to do. Which is, so, like, the idea, I know he has familiarity there. He was assistant for a little bit, um, you know, kind of between jobs. But I look at that, I'm like, really? What would that look like? So I kind of want that to happen just because I'm curious. Exactly. If you don't know how to run an offense – Get Mike D'Antoni in there. He'll figure something out. I mean, their offense is so broken that yeah, I'm ready for point and bead. Exactly. Make it happen. I have always ever since Joel Embiid came to the league, I have always wanted to see him running pick and rolls and him. I think that's the way you unlock him and Ben Simmons is you're able to yeah. put the ball in his hands. You know, do it from the 18 foot elbow by the free throw line, you know, not so far out that he's in trouble. Do it there where he's one step away from shooting the ball where Ben has to do a quick little cut and then he can alley-oop. That's how you really do it. And Mike Tony, people think he has a type. I think Mike Tony is probably the most flexible offensive coach that exists. That's why I would trust him with this team. Yeah, I think he showed that the last few years in Houston, right? That That's not the style he wants to play, but he found a way to make it efficient. And just that slowed down isolation. Like a lot of people were assuming, hey, yeah, Rockets up and down the court. They did not do that. They only did that this past year when when Russ was on the court. Other than that, it's a very slow pace. That's not how Mike wants to wants to play. And I'm with you. Like I think he will adapt to the personnel. And that's why I think I find it fascinating. Billy Donovan, I think he's a good coach. I have no interest in him being the coach of the Sixers. I don't think that's going to work. I mean, the way that Steven Adams was playing towards the end there uh, before things fell apart in the playoffs. But if they can figure out a way to use Joel in the pick and roll the, the way that he did with Steven Adams, that could be pretty promising. But I think we both agree. We want to see them go just like complete wild card with this and just go with the Tony. Absolutely. And let's just hope that it's not a situation where like Furkan Korkmaz and Howell Neto are the best shooters on the team. Otherwise, I think Tony may retire pretty quickly. <laughs> So now we are talking to our Nuggets writer, Kendra Andrews, who just had a fantastic story after Game 7 about the historic comeback that the Nuggets pulled off. It's actually coincidentally rerunning on my TV right now. And uh, Jamal Murray, he hit a lot of shots in that game. Uh, what? How come the Clippers couldn't find a way to stop Jamal Murray in the second quarter of this game, considering how many great point guard defenders that they have? And then how is how are the Lakers going to be able to contain them? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the big adjustments that I saw the Clippers do in that game seven is they switched a lot of their intense defense to Nikola Jokic instead of Jamal Murray. Earlier in the series, they were just hounding Jamal. You know, he could not buy an easy bucket and Nikola Jokic could do whatever he wanted. Well, that wasn't working for the Clippers in games five and six. They needed to change something and they knew that. So they were throwing doubles from the get at Nikola Jokic. But the thing with Jokic is that he's obviously such a talented facilitator. He was getting other guys involved like Jamal Murray. And, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in the Clippers locker room. I didn't talk to Doc Rivers afterwards. So I can't say that it's, you know, they weren't able to adjust quick enough in the middle of the game. But I will just say that I think Jamal Murray, this series has really grown as a player. Obviously after that round one, we saw that he can shoot incredibly, but now after having to overcome the Clippers defense, he knows how to score in so many different ways. And I think that his 20 points in that second quarter was an example of that. 
All right. Well, we know Jokic is a pretty good offensive player, but let's talk about defense first because he did not really have the toughest defensive matchup in that Clipper series. Now he's facing the best big man score in the NBA. And it's someone that in Anthony Davis, I, I was not referring to JaVale McGee, by the way, but you know, <laughs> Anthony Davis, he's going to pull him out of the paint. And Jokic has actually been like pretty decent under the rim compared to where he used to be, at least in the last few weeks. But now he's going to have to run around trying to chase AD in the high post. AD's athleticism and speed is going to show up as a huge advantage. How does Jokic fulfill his defensive responsibility without getting worn down to be able to impact on offense? I mean, that's going to be a tall task for him. Jokic usually handles big bigs very well, but Anthony Davis does present a challenge. And I think with that, it's going to be really important for Nikola Jokic to try and get AD into foul trouble while not getting into foul trouble himself, because I believe that that's something that Davis will also be trying to do. You know, Nikola Jokic, I'm... I'm not too as worried as him, as you said, with with Anthony Davis defending him when he's on offense as much as I am Jokic actually defending Anthony Davis. His length is just something that's pretty unmatched. So I think it's going to be really important, obviously, for Jokic to, I don't know, I don't want to say think long, but think long, you know, elongate his body as far as he can, staying really, really active. But then I also think it's going to be important for some of those help defensive guys like a Jeremy Grant, who is one of their better big defenders, uh, to to get involved and help Jokic with that matchup. And that's exactly where I was going to go next is Jeremy Grant, one of the best help defenders in the NBA. But there's LeBron. And right. he's probably the most qualified guy to guard LeBron out there. I'm sure Millsap can do it. He's done it in the past to a degree, but he's also a lot older. Torrey Craig is going to come, come off the bench and clearly guard LeBron a bit. How do you see Denver managing that matchup? It's going to be a tough task. And it was a tough task for them during the regular season. You know, it's tricky because you you come off the series against the Clippers with two other really, really talented wings and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but of course they're not quite as big as LeBron and AD. It's going to take multiple efforts from this Denver Nuggets team, which earlier in the Clippers series kind of caused them some trouble. You know, they weren't getting that help defense that they need. They weren't making multiple efforts. I think correcting that against the Clippers will help them moving forward, but you are going to see some mismatches. I do think you're going to see some Gary Harris helping on LeBron James just because Gary Harris is such a talented defender, even though LeBron has, you know, some definite size advantage on Harris. You are going to see that. You're going to see a lot of guys who you might not think defend on these particular players having to help out because, when it comes down to it, yeah, they're they're not going to be able to do it by themselves. Similar to the Clippers, they're not going to be able to beat this matchup going one-on-one. So my last question is, who is the nugget player that I'm going to watch in the series on offense? And I'm going to be like, I had no idea he could do all that. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be a, I didn't know that he could do all of that. But I think there are some guys who maybe have been a little bit quieter so far who are going to have to step up. I think Paul Millsap is a guy who had a relatively quiet series and not a great playoff so far. (laughs) But I mean, during those games five and seven against the Clippers, you saw glimpses of the Paul Millsap who has been playing for this Denver team 
all year long. And that's what they're going to need more of. They're going to need a lot more of these X factor guys to step up. It's, you know, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are not going to get it done by themselves. They need their two-way players to be on point. They're going to need guys like Michael Porter Jr., Monte Morris hitting all of their shots. They need to take advantage of the lesser perimeter defense that the Lakers have. You know, you're you're going to need all of that if they they want to make this a real competition. So now we're talking to our resident Alex Caruso expert and Lakers extraordinaire. Bill Orem, what is going to happen in the next round between the Lakers and the Nuggets? The Lakers are going to win, Jared. Good. Thank you. We're done with hot take ding. This is Jared Weiss. So, so what do you think is the kind of the way that the Lakers continue to evolve in this series while also finding a way to not get destroyed by Nikola Jokic? Well, I think the I think the important thing here is that they continue to um that they continue to get the, the consistent uh contributions uh from their role players that we saw in the last series where Danny Green and Catavius Caldwell Pope finally came around offensively. Alex Caruso uh, was was pretty tremendous in his in his role. And, you know, I, I think that the, the Anthony Davis-Jokic matchup is kind of the key to the whole thing. I mean, Nikola Jokic is not going to be able to, um, you know, stay within 15 feet of, of the basket guarding Anthony Davis. And you know, if the Lakers have AD at five, he's going to have no choice but to chase AD all over the floor. And I think that that's really to the Lakers' advantage. It opens things up for everyone else, for LeBron in the paint. Um, and, and. To me, I think that this Lakers team, it's go- the, the 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 truth is going to be in in how they start, whether they start small or go big. Frank Vogel said today that they're going to get back to their roots, which indicates they'll start big. JaVale McGee was the starting center all year. Um, I don't suspect that's going to last. And so to me, with the success they had against Houston, it would make sense to just stick with that lineup that they had rolling with Markeith Morris next to Anthony Davis. But um, but we'll see. I mean, Vogel has has been pretty clever with that. And there was uh, I think it was in game two against the Rockets that he started McGee. But then I think JaVale only played the first six minutes and then it was small ball the rest of the way. Um, you know, the Nuggets are bigger than the Rockets, but I think, you know, the Lakers small ball lineup is most teams big lineup uh, with AD and Markeith and LeBron. So, you know, I think I think that ultimately probably is the is the lineup that gives them the best chance at, at, a, at, a, at a title. But, you know, I mean, listen, I mean, the Lakers are going to have their hands full with Jamal Murray, who's been playing at a, um, you know, obviously a a really high level. I've been calling him uh, Steph Murray in the bubble. So (laughs) so I think that there is, um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot that the Nuggets can do that is is going to present. Um, you know, a challenge for the Lakers. I don't think it's I don't think it's a cakewalk. I think we I think Denver's earned more respect than that. But the Lakers have been so locked in and focused and been playing at a very, very high level. If that carries over from round two, I do think this is a series they win uh, fair, you know, fairly quickly and tidily. But um, but, you know, Denver has, has certainly gotten a lot of people's attention. I'm sure Paul Millsap must love that he's getting another Morris twin after just finishing another <laughs> one off. But so obviously Jokic, that's the big problem the Lakers have to solve. But 
for the small problem, it is Steph Murray. Does Danny Green get the assignment on him? Does does playoff Rondo get to step into a bigger role? Who guards him and how do they manage that rotation? I mean, you'll see all of it at some point, I'm sure. But, you know, if you look at the way they've handled these scoring guards in the first two rounds, Contavious Caldwell Pope has been the first has been the first kind of uh, guy to, to take a shot at him. And KCP has been good. Um, he's a little quicker than Danny Green. Um, I think he makes more sense on Murray uh, to start. Alex Caruso, and then, like you said, Rondo, Danny Green. The Lakers, even without Avery Bradley, they have very, very good perimeter defenders. Even if, even if you know Rondo is maybe uh, you know not as cons- com- consistently committed as some of those other guys. You know, we saw how we saw how um, valuable he could be picking up James Harden full court, forcing a couple of turnovers, and you know leading to easy baskets, things that can really swing the momentum. So he's you know he's going to be the guy who gets thrown in there to mix it up if Jamal Murray starts getting hot. You know you're going to throw Rondo in there to to be a pest and, and irritant and you know really what he was um, so good at in the, in this last series. So he's going to get his shot. But to me, I think you know the Lakers have some size that they can throw at Murray. I mean, they can trap him if they need to, um, and I I do think that they can they they can play Jokic pretty straight up at least at least to start. I think Anthony Davis you know can can hold his own against uh, Jokic, and then you have some size that can come over and and help. So I I I think that this is a fairly straightforward matchup for the Lakers uh, positionally, not one where they have to overthink it too terribly much, um, and it just comes down to you know. All, all the things that we always talk about who makes shots who makes the big stops and um you know who's who's playing the best at the, at, at the right time so do you think that this pretends well for lebron i mean they denver has two guys that physically match up pretty well with him and craig and grant but lebron's lebron and he's in the conference finals yeah i mean i you know it's interesting because if you look at um the nuggets they have more depth and more uh you know, perimeter size than anybody else the Lakers have played in the postseason. Portland was shorthanded. They really only had Gary Trent and uh, Carmelo, I guess, to throw at LeBron. Uh, the Rockets also, P.J. Tucker, but he was tied up with um, Anthony Davis when he was on the floor. The Nuggets have more guys who they can throw at LeBron over the course of 48 minutes. Um, you know, Paul Millsap's a guy who's matched up with LeBron a lot over his career. Now, that was when they were both more traditionally in their, you know, traditional size roles um but you know there's there's a history there i think paul Millsap is comfortable guarding lebron especially if he's um on the floor with another ball handler uh i don't think at 35 he wants to be up there at the point of attack too much but if rondo's on the floor with lebron perhaps you're going to see some uh paul Millsap, tory craig like you said jeremy grant to me is the interesting one i mean he just he's just such a relentless defender so good on the ball so good in space um that you know he's a very disruptive force and the kind of player the lakers you know, really don't have. So, you know, I'm a little bit of an X factor, I guess, that I'll, that I'll be watching to see how how he um, how he plays. But I do see him as, as as the first kind of obvious matchup on LeBron. So then the last question coming from someone who, as a rookie, my first year covering the league was playoff Rondo in 2012, all the way back then. So what is it like watching what I would have to imagine is probably the last rendition of playoff Rondo. See, you keep thinking that. You thought it in 2018 with the Pelicans. You probably thought <laughs> it in one of those runs with the Celtics. I, I mean, listen, Rondo has um, – Yeah, I, I don't know what the rest of his career looks like. I don't know if he's back with the Lakers. But he certainly, I think, put some respect back on his own name with this with this 
uh, series against the Rockets with the way he played in games two, three, and four, especially, I think that he, um, you know, certainly has shown that he has more left in the tank than he was getting credit for. Um, you know, it's, it's been a little, it's been a little surreal just because we had all kind of, um, written him off uh, through the regular season. I mean, you look across the board, all of his numbers are lower than they've been since his rookie year at the Celtics. He was on a minimum deal with the Lakers. Um, You know, they spent most of the winter trying to find somebody who was better than him. Darren Collison, uh, it was obviously a, a, a a sexy candidate there for a while. Um, And, and so everything the Lakers have done, they've tipped their hand in the regular season that they, had some concerns about their their backup ball handler and they put a name on it. That's Rajon Rondo. But it does feel like he has um, he's always had the trust of Frank Vogel, who has talked all year about how he's never had, you know, quarterbacks of his offense with the IQ of LeBron and Rondo. He was always sure to include Rondo in that. And I, it, whether that was just a little bit of um, psychological uh, bait to keep Rondo engaged or not, it's clearly working and they're getting really the best version of him uh, in these playoffs. And, you know, for a guy who, I mean, really, I mean, you know, this Jared bounced around the NBA so much after he left Boston and, and, and clashed with Rick Carlisle in Dallas and had his issues in Sacramento and, you know, had a moment in Chicago, but then bounced to new Orleans and, you know, then, then finally got to the Lakers. It's been a, it's been a long road back to, you know, frankly, relevance for Rondo and, um, as wildly competitive as he is, as driven as he is, as, as um, much edge as he plays with, it's kind of the perfect, uh, it's kind of the perfect uh, situation for him. All right. Thanks both to Kendra and to Bill. Jared, fantastic job. See, Zach, when you're not listening and you're just slacking off, I'm here hosting Daily Ding as well. I know how to, know how to conduct an interview that may have ran a little bit past time. You know how to talk. You're a talker. I've opened my mouth before. You, you can talk. You can hear. You can talk back when you hear what they say. That's what interviewing is. All right. Big game coming up on Thursday. Game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. Celtics and Heat tipping off at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Eastern. Jared, obviously, like, a unbelievable game one. I don't know that we could have gotten a more entertaining game one with everything that happened and capped off by the gigantic block by Bam Adebayo. Hopefully we get better officiating than what we saw from Mark Davis and Kane Fitzgerald in game one. But what do you think is the key to the Celtics evening up the series in game two? I do think if Kemba Walker ever hits a three-pointer again, that would definitely be helpful towards his case of winning. Um, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I buy these analytics. (laughs) I mean, that he needs to make shots. Yeah. Analytics that hitting three pointers is better than missing three pointers is, you know, where, how we've gotten ourselves into 2020 in the first place. But uh, that's how you nerds end up with no Bradley Beal on the all NBA third team. Listen, I'm going to really nerd out here and be a stat nerd as somebody in my comments said the other day when talking about points per game. Uh, But Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, these guys are basically trading off isolation possessions at the end of games. And Brad Stevens said it earlier today that the Celtics need to stop being stagnant at the end of these games. They're going up against Miami. Miami, they're running quadruple back cuts. They're doing backflips. There's a giraffe walking through the background. They got all sorts of crazy carnival stuff going on. Even in crunch time, these guys do not stop executing. They do not stop being persistent, as Eric Spolstra put it. And the Celtics, for everything that they do great, especially on defense, they do kind of fall into this lull of relying on their star power at the very end. And 
what's great about the Celtics team is that they're capable of being more than that. You know, and they got to they got to find a way to just stop bogging down into predictable isolation at the very end. Yeah, I, I think for the heat side of it um, to go up to a would obviously be a, a big deal. They need to find a way to just get Duncan Robinson going, because I think that there's so many more levels to what their offense can do, even against a great defense like Boston. If they could just one keep him out of foul trouble and <laughs> keep exactly. his hands to himself, and two, like it's just even if he's not making shots, he's a huge impact because you have to stick one on someone on him, and he and you essentially end up playing four on four because you can't leave him. But he's so active, and they're so much better when he's hitting that um, if they can find a way to get him going, that's going to put tremendous pressure on a Celtics defense that doesn't usually feel that pressure from from three point range. I mean, what's so great about this Miami team is that. They can lose Duncan Robinson, and they got a bunch of guys that can step in and do what he does. And we saw in crunch time that the Celtics were trying to collapse down and really flatten out Miami's offense, and that would open up opportunities for Tyler Hero to just you know curl up to the top of the arc, and he would be completely wide open, and the Celtics would have to sprint out to him, and he would hit the wide open three. So it just seemed that early in the game, Miami was finding ways to back cut towards the rim and Bam Adebayo would find somebody late in the game. It would be Jimmy Butler getting the ball deep into the paint and then kicking out to those shooters. Miami's a great team. Boston just might not be able to beat them because Miami's just too good. I don't know. They're pretty close. They were pretty close in game. one, And of course, as we all expected, Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, expert marksman from outside. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other shows across the Athletic Podcast Network, the Athletic NBA Show. We have a fun point of contention with myself, Ethan Strauss, and Marcus Thompson coming out on Thursday. And, of course, Nerdish wrote on Friday. Check out all the team-specific shows. Obviously, check out No Dunks. Those guys are the best. And you can follow on the app, get notifications of new episodes, utilize the comment section, subscribe. Theathletic.com slash Daily Ding. It's a dollar a month. You can't beat that deal for coverage of sports on the internet that's it thanks for waking up with us please leave uh please just leave everybody alone all right just like let's just let's just keep our distance let's wear masks let's be safe and let's make sure we can get through all this stuff and jerry hit me with that sign zach harper hates john time picking against the Clippers.